Welcome to the Existential Edge Podcast, presented by the United States Association for Small Business and Entrepreneurship. How is entrepreneurship transforming university environments? What are its most compelling lessons? How can an entrepreneurship program make maximum impact on its ecosystem and change the lives of students and others in the process? Join Patrick J. Murphy, Goodrich Endowed Chair, Professor, and Director of the Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Alabama at Birmingham as he hosts leading entrepreneurs from across the country and beyond for provocative and insightful discussions of these and other questions. Welcome, everybody, to the Existential Edge podcast. We're very excited today. We'll be talking with another really interesting entrepreneur, Miss Nadia Hassan. Nadia Hassan founded a health and wellness company, which we're going to learn all about. It's called Zaya. She's based in Berlin, Germany. And as you know, as listeners of this podcast, we first take a deep dive into the entrepreneur's personal background and their values and their beliefs and get to know them a little bit and take about 15 minutes to do that. Then in the second part of the program, we take about 15 minutes or so to learn about their business and how it started, um, how it's grown, how it's evolved, what kind of impact they're making. And then in the final third section, we learn about our guests' views on entrepreneurship education. And so Nadia, it is a thrill and an honor to have you here and we look forward to getting to know you. Yes, thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with you. It's it's actually pretty funny. Um, you know, I don't know if I told you this, but back at DePaul, um, I remember in when I was in your class, you had entrepreneurs coming into one of our lectures and they were talking about their business. And I was thinking to myself when I was sitting in my seat, I hope to one day be one of those entrepreneurs that that Patrick brings into his class. And so, you know, now it's it's another sort of variation of it. So it's it's pretty amazing what, what can happen. That's right. I mean, your dreams become reality. And, you know, look yeah. here, you have a, we're in a big class right now because a lot of people listen to this podcast and uh, you're doing it from another country, no less. Yeah, <laughs> who would have known? <laughs> Great. So Nadia, if, um, what I'd like to do now is kind of, don't really talk about your business yet. Just kind of what we do as educators is we try to teach the whole person. We try to really connect and transform and inspire through our lessons and our lectures and the educational experiences we provide. So in in doing that, it helps to like get to know the people who become entrepreneurs. And they're all different, of course, but um, everyone has their own unique story. So if you could just go back before you became an entrepreneur when you were young, were there any key experiences growing up or any anything that's always motivated you, anything about your sensibilities or your personality? Just give us a good sense of who you are as yeah. a human being. Yeah, you know, I would say that ever since I was young, I was very determined. And that's something that my parents would always say. Whenever I wanted something, I would go for it. And, you know, I even remember back in high school you know i started my own it was something small but it was my own little radio radio station i started 
I wanted to one day be a radio DJ. And so I was like, you know what? I want to become a radio DJ. Great. I'm going to start taking the steps necessary to become a DJ on the radio. And so I, I started my own radio station and it's pretty embarrassing now <laughs> that I think about it, but it was, it was amazing. It was, it played on the, what is it called? You know, um, on the sound speakers throughout the school during lunchtime. And I called it snack hour radio. And I remember I would have, an, I would interview someone, I would play music. And that was just the first step that I took. Uh, and I remember reaching out and really making an effort to even meet people who were in the industry to try and really understand it. I think I was about maybe 14 or 15 years old. And that really started to kind of just continue throughout my life. And yeah, it's kind of just, that's just how it's been ever since. And I've, I've always felt like entrepreneurship was really something that I was destined for. So did you have any was it really just you driving that and creating that radio station or were there some key supporters in the community or a mentor or anybody or both? I mean, mm -hmm. like how it really started the initial spark and how it became successful. How, what, what gave you the confidence to do that at that age? You know, I really don't know. I think I do remember that somebody came in to speak at our school once. And I remember different speakers coming into our school, just talking about different topics. And I always felt inspired to just do more than what the average person might want to achieve. Um, and I think just seeing those, those types of role models at such a young age, getting exposed to that, it, your, your mind starts expanding you start thinking well what other opportunities what other possibilities are there in the world besides what's happening just right here in my little bubble and i think that was something that kind of always just made me want to do more and also i would say traveling as well i um i was born in chicago but then i moved with my family to australia when i was 12 and that was a really big life change it was something where I had to push myself outside of my comfort zone. I was able to explore a different culture. And when you kind of are pushed at that young age to do something that causes you to adapt quickly, that causes you to um, just think outside of, you know, the narrow mind, I think it, it just changes your perception of the world. And, um, and I think that that's a really uh, one of the foundational qualities when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's the ability to be adaptable. It's the ability to think outside the box and um, and just kind of be more creative and explorative around different things. So we um, we talk about that a lot of times in in my field as global thinking. It, mm. It's good to think global but act local, right? And, and so as a a young person who's finding her way and developing her set of values and what you think and what you believe in and so forth to go to Australia from Chicago. And now, you know, you're in Germany and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but to see like what you are not can be so powerful because you learn a lot of things that are invisible to you. Like if you were to stay in one place and just do the same things, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but you, you take so much for, granted and you it's like fish don't know they're wet right or if you live in a world where everything is blue you don't know what blue is until you get out of it and live somewhere else so exactly. are you saying that 
that kind of experience had a real profound impact on how you view the world and how you define yourself? Definitely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, it's really about learning how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's one of the biggest gifts that you can kind of give yourself is pushing past that sort of uncomfortability because it's not easy. You know, a 12 year old that doesn't really know much all of a sudden in a whole other world, you know, where everything is on the opposite side of the world and different accents and things like that. But yeah, it definitely impacted me. So, yeah, it, it's very interesting. I'm wondering if um, folks who don't have as much of an opportunity to travel, how they can find similar experiences. I, I've actually thought about this a lot. And I've, you know, because I mean, some of the most famous philosophers in human history, like Kant, K-A-N-T, like one of the Enlightenment philosophers, mm -hmm. he never went like more than 20 miles away from his hometown of Konigsberg, but he, I mean, and the way he did it was he went back in time. So I'm wondering if um, learning history, not traveling geographically, but learning history and the history of maybe where you are is another way to expand your mind globally. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways to do that. Actually, so I was traveling for quite some time. So after, after DePaul, after I graduated university, I went and I worked a corporate job. And then after that, I was really dissatisfied with the corporate world. And so I joined the Peace Corps and I did community economic development um, in Costa Rica. And after that, I started to realize how much I loved traveling because it was such a mind opening, transformative experience for me. And I became addicted to it. I wanted more of it. So then I was living in, in Nepal and in India and I traveled to Sri Lanka. And I remember having so much resistance to coming back to the U.S. because I had to come back. And the reason why I was having so much resistance was because I was learning so much about myself from traveling. But then when I came back to the U.S., when I came back to Chicago, I started to, to learn so much more about myself when just being at home, just being in the place that I was born in. And the way that I was able to experience that was surrounding myself around different people. You know, I think our environment is one of the most influential things and it's the people that we surround ourselves by, the food that we that we eat, the music that we listen to, all of these things can have an impact on us. You don't have to go, you know, a thousand miles away to really experience anything outside of that's gonna really impact your life. You know, you could do it even in your bed, just a meditation, you know? Right, right. There's so many ways. So what what would you say to a young person? You know, this is what us as educators, what we really try to we try to have this effect on our students. We, we're, we're thrilled and we're happy when someone like yourself takes it upon themselves to grow in the ways that you have grown. Um, but imagine a young person, maybe back when you started doing a lot of these experiences, these worldly experiences that you gave yourself, who has a little bit more reticence or they're a little hesitant or maybe even a little scared to do that. What might you say to someone like that to inspire them to, you know, make the leap? I mean, I think that fear can be one of the biggest blocks in our lives from helping us to succeed. And I think that once we are able to move past fear of failure or fear of being seen or fear of being shamed or shut down or criticized, 
um, once we're once you know once you're able to move past that, you are. I mean, the possibilities are endless, and I think that just practicing learning how to build confidence in yourself, especially at such a young age. I mean, I'm telling you, I think having confidence in yourself, being secure with yourself is one of the biggest gifts that you can give yourself and doing it at a young age that will set you up for the rest of your life because you're going to continue to have challenges as you get older. You know, the world gets bigger as you get older and you're constantly going to be facing all of these challenges, meeting people that push you and, you know, they criticize you. But when you're confident in yourself, uh, you you don't you won't um you won't you don't succumb to that you know you don't succumb to anyone else's opinions because you know that you're the best and <laughs> yeah the things we um we work really hard to instill in our entrepreneurship students it's an important part of the entrepreneurial mindset is that the key to being able to deal with external change is a changeless sense of who you are and mm that kind of confidence that you're talking about, you know, know thyself, be confident in who you are, I think comes a lot from just being aware of who mm -hmm. you are at a very natural, authentic level. And so it takes us into the realm of like, like you said earlier, meditation or reflection and inner mm -hmm. peace and, and just being grounded at a personal level, I think can do so much for a young person or anybody who mm -hmm. may be, branching out into a very uncertain realm where they don't know what's going to happen. But if you just, if you know truly who you are and who you are not, you're able to take steps like that. Would you agree? Exactly. A hundred percent. I definitely agree. Yeah. Right. This is great. So you have articulated and illustrated for us a um, very rich uh, sense of stepping outside one's comfort zone. You, you've traveled a lot. You're, you're in a, you're in you're outside the us right now you're outside the country you were born and you've gone on to start an entrepreneurial venture called zaya so give us just a couple sentences of what zaya is and what it's about as a way to wrap up this segment yeah so zaya is a digital holistic health platform that increases accessibility to holistic care for patients who have been diagnosed with a chronic disease and really supporting their mental health and their physical well-being through education, technology, community, and science. Awesome. Now we are gonna learn all about Zaya when we come back on the Existential Edge podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Existential Edge podcast. This is our second segment with Nadia Hassan, and we are now going to learn about her entrepreneurial venture, which is called Zaya. Um, Nadia, so um, just kind of kick us off. You gave us a little teaser at the end of the last segment, but talk a little bit more about the people you serve, how you serve them, um, what problems you're really solving with your entrepreneurial venture, and um, tell us what really inspires you about it. Yeah, um, which should I get started maybe just starting off with why I started and how the concept kind of got built out? Yeah, well, it's a super personal story. Um, so my father was diagnosed with lung cancer and brain cancer in 2012, actually, while I was studying at DePaul. 
and in in school and it was i was one of his caregivers and so i was constantly going to all of his his appointments you know being there with him during chemotherapy speaking to his medical team his oncologist and i kept coming up against a lot of friction with the healthcare system specifically in the us this is where i was living at the time and one of the things that i started to recognize was that the conventional care model did not support patients who have chronic conditions with finding holistic care. And so when I talk about holistic care, I'm really talking about the the type of care that includes a whole person into the model. So it's really looking at their mental, their emotional, their spiritual, um, and their physical state of being and nurturing that. And so you'll see this in different types of therapies like acupuncture, uh, massage, yoga, for example. And so these are really the type of therapies that I was trying to support my father with when he was sick. And it was very difficult trying to find this sort of care for him. Specifically, to some of the reasons were he had Medicare and Medicaid, and that did not cover holistic or alternative types of therapies. And then another issue was affordability. So my father, he was disabled at that point. And we weren't able to afford these sorts of therapies because a lot of them are out of pocket. And so I was constantly searching on the internet, trying to find different solutions that were evidence informed. And that was another big problem because every time I would try to search for these sorts of therapies, a lot of misinformation would be coming up on the internet. And so eventually my father, you know, I did as much as I could, um, but eventually he ended up passing away. Um, and it wasn't from the actual cancer itself, but it was from the side effects of the medications that he was taking. So he was on a lot of pharma pharmaceuticals, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and those have really bad side effects. And so when, after he had passed away, about a year after he passed, I really wanted to bring more access to this sort of care to people who are in similar conditions to my dad's. And so that's when I started to develop the idea of Zaya. I wanted to build a platform where people who have serious health conditions can find evidence-informed, holistic resources. They can find highly qualified therapists and get access to affordable care options. And so this is how the, the idea of Zaya kind of birthed out. And so I started doing a lot of research into the healthcare industry globally and starting and starting to, I probably interviewed hundreds of different practitioners, really trying to understand the industry, what and what exactly patients with chronic conditions need. And th these were the, the, the issues that I started seeing. It was the issue with affordability. It was the issue with access to evidence-informed care and uh, education, community. And so I decided I wanted to build a platform that would be able to serve all of these needs um, and make it access very accessible to people. That's a very powerful story. So many entrepreneurs, for them, it starts with a deeply personal experience related to their, their family or their community or their values or culture, their religion, everything. It has that personal tie. and. Clearly, that was um, that's a huge motivator for you. 
And I, I think a lot of what you have done here is, you know, being fueled by the problem that you experienced firsthand and being aware that there must be other people in the world who are in a similar, similar but different situation. Yeah. I think a huge part of what you're doing is educating people. You talked about all the research that you did on the internet and everything. And so much of entrepreneurial growth is down to spreading awareness and educating others. So talk about how, you know, you had to educate yourself, but now talk about how you educating other people is a part of the growth of your business. Yeah. So uh, I have, I host monthly workshops and events. So I invite different healthcare experts around the world to speak on topics that are relevant to healing the mind, healing the body holistically, and really educating people on the importance of the mind-body connection. So when I say the mind-body connection, I'm really talking about how our mental states, our mental and emotional states deeply affect our bodies. And so that's something that we're, that, you know, we're really starting to see when it comes to medicine, when it comes to chronic diseases and how trauma is linked to, um, a lot of diseases in the body. And so I have a lot of speakers who are, who are, um, coming, they, they use the platform and we have around five to 600 people that join the events and we've been able to grow the community to almost 5,000 people now, which has been incredible. And we've just been doing it over the past few months. And it's really a place where people can get educated by highly qualified practitioners on topics that, you know, sometimes you, they're very, they're very special topics that really help people connect to a deeper part of themselves and learning a lot about um, how to heal themselves using these sort of modalities. It's really an amazing community. And for all of our listeners, we're going to drop a link in the program description to your website and your community, uh, Nadia. So there's probably some people listening here who will want to become involved. We'll, we'll do that for, um, for everybody who's listening. And I, I, I've attended one or two of them myself, and I, I will say that it is um, fascinating. Um, it, it, the speakers are kind of alternative medicine, but it's clearly very effective. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of meaning. There's a lot of um, um, impact, I think, around these type of alternative medicines. Um, to make it more concrete, though, share with our listeners a, a couple of examples of the more interesting or popular topics that you guys talk about. Yeah. Um, oof. I would say, you know, one of the most important topics, I try to speak to topics that I know are really affecting a large group of people. Uh, so for example, the last one that we had was balancing hormone stress and gut health naturally. And I had a naturopath and herbalist come and speak about that topic. And that was pretty incredible. Uh, another one was overcoming insomnia using CBTI. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy, specifically for those with insomnia and mindfulness psychotherapy with a sleep psychotherapist. And that was interesting because I never, I never heard of a sleep psychotherapist before. And that was just, that was an incredible one. Uh, we've had topics on how to balance your emotions using Chinese philosophy. Um, we even had one on, on healing through ketamine and cannabis uh, psychotherapy sessions. And so, and that was with a licensed psychotherapist in the US. 
And so these are really the topics that we're talking about. So just really helping people to kind of explore the different modalities that they can that they can use in their lives. So you've been able to turn a, a an experience that you had into a movement that is helping, you know, you said five or six hundred people showing up to your events. You've turned it into something that helps others. It, it's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah. Um, from a practical perspective, th this great work that you're doing, how how is it supported? How is it funded? I, I'm sure there's a lot of bootstrapping and you know coming being very creative with regard to how you're growing it. But how do you how do you earn revenue? And what are some of your the things you have to pay for? And I'm asking this question because I know there's a, entrepreneurs out there who are you know, 10 years ago or where you were 10 years ago and would love to be where you are right now, five or yeah. 10 years in the future. So hit on some of the practical aspects of building what you've built. Yeah, well, I bootstrapped. Uh, I've been bootstrapping since the beginning of this. So thankfully, I, I had that sort of savings where I was able to really invest that money into building the platform. And right now, we've been able to just build the MVP where it is an actual booking platform. So we've vetted practitioners from Berlin as well as uh, in the UK and also some in the US where they can type in their condition and then they can find a practitioner that specializes in the therapy. So we've, I was, I've been working with a developer to be able to build this. And you know, when you are able to get someone onto your team that really believes in your vision, um, sometimes they're willing to do it at no cost. And so I've been working with my developer since the prototype. And then eventually he was able to just offer to continue to build it for me for free. And so that's a really great thing. Uh, if there are entrepreneurs that are bootstrapping and hoping to find ways to save money, find people that are really committed and love and really truly believe in your mission. And they'll be willing to do it either for equity or they'll be willing to do it completely for free just because they believe in you. Right. Um, so is the is the individual a co-founder with you in your business or is no. it? No. Wow. That's a very generous person. That individual has really believe in the vision of what you're doing. Yeah, yes. Yes. It's wow. incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. So, so yeah. you do events. Um, obviously, you have events. Um, are those fee based or non fee based? And then as part of that, you you're also connecting people who need care with people who can provide care. Are there yeah. transactions there or with the events that are revenue sources for for you? Yeah. So with some of the events, I've been able to get sponsorships with other companies, and that's a really great way to earn money. Um, and then also with the actual platform itself, I decided to use a commission-based business model. So on a lot of platforms, you see that um, a lot of them are a monthly subscription. And I, because of COVID, I really wanted to meet a lot of people's needs right now, their financial needs. And so that's why I decided to make it a commission-based business model. And then as far as the events, they are free. So like I said, one of the things that I really want to do is to make healthcare education accessible. And part of that is making it affordable for people. And so that's why I want, I will always continue to run these events for free. And right now um, I am starting to create an actual program where people can opt in to start subscribing for a program. So this is just something on the side that I'm doing until it's, it's uh, the funding investor funding starts to roll in. And so that's what I'm working towards right now. That's, that's the phase I'm in. 
great. I mean, you've grown a lot since you started, obviously. Um, but looking forward into the future, um, let's put ourselves on the existential edge for a minute. Where are you going to be, do you think, in three, four, five years? How do you see this growing? Are there are there external trends or sectors that you believe are important that you want to get into? Um, or do you want to innovate and try to serve your market more, better, or in different ways? Not your market, but your constituency. Um, how do you see this evolving? How do you see this growing based on where you are right now and where you've been? Yeah, I have. I'm a big dreamer. And I have a lot of really big goals with this platform. And a part of that is I really want to master this niche. So I plan to continue to stay where I'm at because I believe that, you know, the healthcare industry, it is evolving. I think every day, like we see that mental health is a really big trend right now. And that is part of what I'm offering on my platform, but really I'm, I, I, I think where I differentiate myself and where the innovation comes in is I'm helping people to recognize how the mind, how their mental health really is tied into their physical health and their physical well-being. And also when it comes to people really understanding the evidence behind a lot of these sorts of therapies, because there's so much skepticism when it comes to these sort of topics. And I think that there's still a lot of doubt in the healthcare world uh, around holistic sort of approaches for people's health. And, but what I'm starting to see is that within the conventional medicine model, so within Western medicine, a lot of physicians are really starting to open their eyes to integrative medicine. And so integrative medicine, it's just another word. There's so many different words for this field, but integrative medicine really looks at, it's more of the, it's the combination of using holistic and complementary care uh, with alongside conventional medicine. And so that is something that's definitely growing. And a lot of physicians are starting to open up their minds. There's a lot of organizations that are starting to um, to grow and build around this, this concept of how do we use holistic care in hospitals. Um, that's another great thing that you're seeing is that a lot of hospitals are starting to open clinics just and they where they have acupuncturists working on site or where they have aromatherapists working on site. And so um, I continue, I'll continue to stay to stay in this industry because I can definitely see the growth and where it's going. Right. You know, as the more traditional industry opens up and evolves, that's a great opportunity for you, right? Because I, I do think the trend is moving in the right direction as it relates okay. to your business. I, I think minds are opening and acceptance is growing of alternative holistic forms. I mean, I mean, let's face it, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was sort of like labeled as quackery or you know different things like that but people are people are starting to get it i mean i i have too i mean i'll i'll put my own self out there and say that i i'm a believer in what you're doing and i i'm i know a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are too because i know a lot of them and i've talked with them mm -hmm. but this treating the whole person i think is uh is you know some of the oldest most of the oldest cultures on the planet they they sort of get it and they're into it right they mm -hmm. they go a lot of the more industrialized, um, focused um, medical sectors, you know, they're they're changing. They don't really get it, but they're kind of changing and 
opening up. So I think you're going to continue to have huge impact as those trends continue. Yes, yes, I hope so. I think it's definitely a trend that is important and it's needed in this world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's great. So again, we're going to we're going to drop links to um, uh, Nadia's company and community for anybody who wants to get involved. And uh, we're going to start wrapping up this uh, segment of the program. Um, but tell me, I'm, I'm curious. So you're in Berlin, Germany. How did you end up in Berlin? And are you going to stay there? What, what, what's going on there? <laughs> so I was living in Indonesia. I was living in Bali about a year and a half ago. And that's when I really started to build the concept of Zaya. Uh, but when I was there, it was really difficult for me to connect and to network with people in the healthcare industry because Bali is just not a place for that. There are a lot of yoga teachers. There's a lot of uh, life coaches there, but really the types of people that I really, that I needed to connect with were more in the health tech, digital, um, digital health sort of field. And so I kept meeting people in Berlin when I was in Bali. And I was like, I think this is a sign. <laughs> and, so, and so I decided, I was like, all right, I think Berlin will be my next place. And so I just packed my bags and I came to Berlin. And honestly, I love it here. I love it. It's, it's home now for me. So That's great. And that sounds yeah. like a great entrepreneurial decision. That's usually how it works out, right? You know, you, you're not really thinking about it. You're just feeling that it's the right thing to do. And um, it makes sense. And oftentimes it proves to be exactly the right thing to do. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations for having the boldness to do that. We know where all that confidence came from to make those kind of moves because we got to know you in the first mm. segment. You were talking about that. And um, all right. So everybody go and check out the links. Uh, Zaya, um, Nadia is a fantastic entrepreneur. She's leading a growing movement and they're doing some very cool, very interesting and inspiring stuff at Zaya. And when we come back, we will learn Nadia's um, views on entrepreneurship education. She'll talk about what we ought to be teaching, how she thinks it should be taught, um, especially for those entrepreneurs that want to move into her sector. But I think for any young person that has a dream that's unique or different and wants to make it a reality, when we come back, on the Existential Edge podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to segment three. Um, we are interviewing Nadia Hassan on the Existential Edge podcast today. She is the founder and president of Zaya a uh, digital health, wellness, um, holistic healthcare educator and provider. They do events, they, um, they, they pair healthcare providers with people who need care, and they're doing a lot of really interesting work, which we just learned about in the previous segment. But in this segment, we're gonna talk about entrepreneurship education. So Nadia was an entrepreneurship student. She is an entrepreneur now. She has views about stress and mindset and wellness and resilience. She also has experience and she has knowledge about how to grow a business, especially a socially purposeful business. And I, I think, you know, I would characterize you as a socially purposeful entrepreneur for sure. And that's where a lot of the younger generation is moving. And so we want to talk about entrepreneurship education in this segment and hit upon all of those themes. So Nadia, I'll just kind of open it up and, um, 
you know, we're talking about university students predominantly, but what are the kinds of things that they ought to be taught? What should they not be taught? Um, share some insights with us about what you think it's really important to instill in young people who want to be entrepreneurs in the future. Hmm. I think that something that, I think that entrepreneurship is very glorified a lot of the times. I don't think that one of the things that the topics that's being educated on is the reality of what being an entrepreneur is when you're at the beginning, you know, when you are really just starting off. And I think that that's one of the most important things that need to be talked about because starting a company, starting your own business, it takes a lot of work. You know, you're constantly nonstop 24 seven problem solving, you eat, sleep and breathe your business. And so you're always listening to the solutions, listening and watching all of your problems. And you have to make a calculated guess at which decision uh, that's going to make is going to make you successful, you know, because any decision that you make, it can make or break your company or you. And so I think one of the most important things that actually should be taught in entrepreneurship is how to listen to your gut, listening to your intuition, because being, being an entrepreneur, you have to make really big decisions sometimes. And when it's your own company, there's nobody there holding your hand, you know, unless you have a co-founder or a mentor still, these are kind of people that are, you know, outside of you when at the end of the day, it comes down to you and the decisions that you make. And you really need to be able to trust yourself. You have to, to learn how to listen to yourself, when to know how to make the right decisions. And I think that something like intuition is extremely important that I think should be taught. We, um, we often, some of us in my field say, if you have to think about it, don't do it. Mm. And it's a short little kind of um, adage and it kind of, it's like a mantra for capturing the, you know, go with your gut sort of mm. idea. But you know, do you agree with that? And secondly, how do we teach intuition or can we? Mm. What was your first question again? I'll answer that um, one. And then I'll okay. Do you agree with, uh, if you have to think about it, don't do it? Yes, okay. I do. I I do to a certain extent. I always think it's important to always write down a list of like, you know, the good, the bad, and then kind of analyze it because I do think that being analytical and being rational is important. Um, but yes, I, I also do agree that if you have to think about it for too long, if it doesn't feel right in your body, you know, I like, you know, I always talk about the body. This is the work that I do. So I'm going to bring this up a lot, but if you even just listen to how your body responds to a decision or a choice that you have to make, your body will give you that answer. You might feel it in your gut. You know, when you get butterflies in your gut, you might feel it, you know, a sinking feeling in your heart. So even just these little body signals, that can be really important to listen to. Right. So those are the very like concrete um, signs of intuition. So when, when you say intuition, you're talking about those kind of bodily responses to what you're considering doing and mm -hmm. so if we think about like how do you teach that i mean kind of like what we said earlier get to know thyself as your way of dealing with the environment around yourself 
maybe focusing on students need to learn how to listen to these signs and they need to put themselves in situations where they need to make a risky decision, but then tune into what their spirit or their body is telling them about that potential decision. Are, are these things that are teachable for entrepreneurs, Nadia, do you think? Do you think this has a place in a entrepreneurship program or a business school classroom? Absolutely. I think mindfulness is powerful. I think mindfulness, it allows you to listen to your body. You learn how to connect with your body. Um, like I said, your body is a, an incredible tool. And if you learn how to quiet the mind enough, everything that you need is already there. You know, all the answers that you need, it's, it's within you. I think that we get so distracted. There's so many distractions in our environment nowadays, social media, you know, everyone's it's, it's just too fast. We live in a very fast paced environment and we need to slow down because when we slow down, that's where the true wisdom, it's that innate wisdom. That's when that comes in and that's where you can start to find the answer. So I think teaching things like mindfulness can be really important. You could teach mindfulness through meditation. You could teach it through breath work. You can teach it. Um, even there's so many little things that you can do to start to incorporate mindfulness, practicing mindfulness in your life. Like when you're eating, for example, learning how to chew slowly, really tasting your food and just taking on these little small things like that every day, it starts to grow. You start to become more mindful of yourself and it, it becomes a lot easier to be able to make decisions. Absolutely. How would you, I, I agree with you. These are great insights. And um, especially in today's world where people are getting stressed out about things they read on a computer, uh, you know, news about people they don't even know, you know, reading something on a computer. It's so detached from, you know, the real true spiritual core of yeah. what a human being is. And, and that that can be toxic. So th these are great insights. And um, I, I think it is important particularly in entrepreneurship education, because there's a lot of stress associated with the risk and the uncertainty and all that. But from a practical perspective, when an entrepreneur, you know, I use the word kind of loosely, fails, like when a planned project or idea doesn't work, which a lot of them don't, how does this approach to entrepreneurship education that you're talking about add value in those cases? Um, just a real quick example. So I, you know, I've been teaching entrepreneurs a long time. And one of the ways that I do it is like, well, if you believe in it deeply enough and you know, it's true, it's, it doesn't feel like failure because you, you believed in it enough and you know, you'll, you'll try it again in a different way. It's not the crux of the, you know, the, the values laden idea that you had that failed. It was your execution. And that's kind of a way to use your mind to um, think about failure in a way that doesn't make you feel like a failure. But talk a little bit about that. Like, how can we use mindfulness and this holistic approach to navigating what we might otherwise view as a failure if we were more naive about it? You know, I think that failure, it's funny because I don't really think that failure exists. I think it's just a sort of concept that we've kind of just developed. Um, because I think that failure, it, it is always, I think that we always find, we always grow through ad adversity and failure is a, an incredible learning ex experience. It's an incredible teaching experience. It teaches us so much about ourselves. You know, we learn 
we learn from our mistakes. We learn the, we learn what's right from our wrongs. And I think that failure is an, it's an opportunity, you know, welcome yourself to it because I think where we get stuck the most is fear of failure. That's where you get stuck because when you're afraid to fail, you block yourself, you cut yourself off from moving forward. You stop yourself from making decisions. You're kind of just stuck. You end up not doing anything at all. And I think that if we start to change the definition of what failure is, you're no longer afraid of it. Um, so I would say, yeah, welcome failure into your life because that's where you will, that's where you'll learn the most. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I know it's terrifying, you know, it's, it's terrifying to feel like you failed. It, it completely kills your confidence. It kills your drive and your motivation. But if you look at it like as it's that it's a learning experience, you no longer have this sort of negative viewpoint or this negative perspective about it. You just get up and you try again. What's um? That's right. Get up and try again. That's exactly where I was. Um, that that's what I was going to ask about next. So, is it the failure, or your response to failure, that's more important? I guess exactly. is that what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. It's your response to failure, and that's kind of my motto and in my my philosophy throughout life. It's it's not the thing itself. It's your it's the way that you handle it. It's the way that you. Yeah, you deal with it the way that you respond to it. So, yeah. So what are your views about, you know, obviously every entrepreneur undertakes a very personal journey. In your case, it's in, I would say, especially personal, especially meaningful, rooted in your personal experience. And then you're, you're sharing those personal gifts with other people who are also going through highly personal sometimes scary experiences and finding courage and power through what you're giving them in a context like that, when so much of the connection and the transaction is spiritual, how do you build trust with your team? Like working with others, collaborating with others. Do you, um, do you just give it more time to feel their values and what they're all about? Or how do you, what, what is your model for, for team building and entrepreneurial team building and, collaborating with other people? Yeah, I would say really get to know someone before you hire them, you know, like make sure you're hiring the right person. And I don't mean just skill, like their skills match the position that you need, but who is this person? Like, what are their values in life? What are their goals? Um, because that's really important because you'll see that in the work that they do. You'll see that in the way that they, that in their communication, you know, the way that you work together, because the team, your team is your family. And I think that as a leader, being a leader is one of the most important things you really have to, I think that entrepreneurship really is about self-development. It's about personal development. And when it comes to managing a team, you really have to be comfortable with yourself. You really have to know yourself. You really have to have done the work on yourself because your team needs you. You have to step up and show up every single day for them. And if your health is out of balance, if your financial situation is out of balance, if your relationships are out of balance, if you're not connected to yourself, you know, that impacts the way that you work with your team. And 
I think that one another thing that I want to note is um, something that's really important as a leader is the ability to be compassionate. And because the people in your team, especially in a startup, it's stressful. It is not easy. And, you know, with my with my team, I kind of felt like a therapist sometimes, you know, I had to I had to be there. I had to hold space for them. I had to support them when they were insecure, when they felt like they weren't doing good enough. And I think that being able to hold space, be compassionate, being a good listener, being a leader, like all of these are qualities that you need to be a good leader and to show up for your team. So, yeah. Now, um, the team is obviously a huge part of any entrepreneurial venture and um, you're very compassionate with your team. What um, is it just as simple as being accessible and available to them and willing to talk or do you do you program like activities into the operation do you you said make space or take space i think you use that term mm -hmm. a couple of times like what are the real practical things that you do to make sure that folks are you know motivated and inspired and not being stressed out like how did how do you construct and build experiences and the business and the requirements and the time and the work and the objectives that are important for your business how do you structure those in relation to your your emphasis on mindfulness and compassion? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just stepping out and just learning how to have fun, and especially in stressful moments. Um, something that we would do is just go out and have dinner, or you know, just have some jokes and just laugh a little bit, and taking breaks. And I think that there's uh, it's also really important to just learn how to let go and kind of just you know, just just laugh at, at the situation, laugh at how stressful things are sometimes and just supporting each other in that sort of way. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that just doing activities outside of work together is also really important. Right. And then, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced this yet or not, but like, what about when you have to let somebody go or stop mm -hmm. working with them? Like, what do you have a... <laughs> for that, or do you do you just kind of take it case by case? What is your philosophy around that? Because you know, if you get a toxic team member on your team, then you know you have to deal with it. So, what's your view on those kind of situations? Yeah, the first time I had to let someone go, it was—I swear—it was the hardest thing. I couldn't sleep for days. I was just <laughs> a nervous wreck. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm destroying this person's life," and they're their goals and their dreams to be a part of this company. And it was really hard on me uh, to be able to do it. But um, there's a saying, what is it called? Um, hire slow, fire fast or something like that. You know, it's really important to, to recognize when somebody that is on your team is no longer contributing in the way that you need them to. Um, and having the confidence to know that you're making the right decision when you do choose to let that person go. Um, because it's, you're not, you're impacting somebody's life. And, uh, you know, you want to be make, make sure that you're making the right decision. And so I definitely think thinking about it and, uh, you know, like I said, listening to your intuition, to your gut, is this person right for my team or is it time for them to, to go? Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's hard to do, but, I think that when it's time to let someone go, be, again, this is where the compassion comes in. 
um, you know, you have to really think about how this might affect someone. It can like it can really affect their confidence or their self-esteem. And sometimes people can get really angry. So, you know, when you're when you're letting them go. So I think being really careful about the conversation that you're having with them is really important when you do choose to make that decision and not pointing any blame or anything like that, you know, recognizing the efforts that they've made and um, but just choosing that you know, maybe this relationship uh, is no longer, you know, benefiting each other, or whatever it is, you know, just really being careful about the words that you use and not pointing fingers and blaming them. Like you did that wrong and this wrong or whatever. Right. And, you know, we'll, we'll both be better off when this is over and trying to put a positive spin on it. But yeah, it, it's great that you recognize that that's important sometimes. And, um, you know, as compassionate and as, open and tolerant and all the love that we put into our work there's got to be boundaries around that when if something toxic is in there mm -hmm. you know you you may have to remove it from the situation and no it's great uh, what you said was really wise and really um i, I think it'll make a lot of uh it'll give a lot of insight to the people listening to what we're talking about right now. Last mm -hmm. question. Um, I, I'm so impressed by what you've built and um, your philosophy, your personal philosophy clearly is embedded in to how you're growing this business. But um, again, from a practical level, and this is also from an educational perspective, as you are hiring and onboarding people, do you, as you as a leader and anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, how do you deal with delegation, right? It's It's gotta be natural to, cause you know it best, mm -hmm. but you can do everything. How do you delegate tasks that you used to do to other people who join your team? And is that stressful for you as the entrepreneur? And if so, how do you deal with it? And how do you make those decisions? Cause you have to do that, right? Or the business isn't gonna grow. If you try to manage everything yourself, you're gonna stunt the growth of the business. So how do you approach mm -hmm. it? that sort of conundrum as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it could definitely be uncomfortable sometimes um, stepping into that role. But, you know, there's really great tools. If you want to get really practical, I think there's just really great tools like Slack, for example, which is a great way to communicate with your team and kind of just keep track of what's happening. Um, and that, that's just a tool that I used when it came to when it comes to talking to my team. Um, being honest with each other, you know, when, when things need to get done. Um, but I mean, like, uh, you know, like you used to do a lot of the, maybe talking to a sponsor or yeah. events, but now as this grows, you're going to have to have other people doing that. And how do you train yourself to kind of let trust that they're going to do that and you don't need to be there because they won't enjoy it if you're micromanaging them. How do you draw those lines as the business grows? Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think, again, it goes, I think part of this goes back to make sure you know who you're hiring before you hire them. Right. Because right. you have to trust that person. Like when you're in that interview with that person, really pay attention to who they are. Like I said, like really get to know who they are. Don't just ask the little questions like, okay, what's your work experience? Like you should be, you should be asking questions like, um, like what, like, what do you do in your spare time? Do they just go out to bars and, and get drunk or do they just go on Netflix, you know, and binge watch or are they 
more reflective? Do they spend time in nature? Do they meditate? Do they uh, spend time just researching and learning things, spending time with family? You know, there's things like that. I think that like there's little things that we can catch on when we're hiring somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you are kind of in alignment with that person, you know, you share the same sort of values. There's a sort of trust that automatically kind of it comes. And the second that you're able to trust someone, I think that's how you learn how to kind of just let go of the reins and know that they're the right person for this position, that mm-hmm. they have the skills, but they also have, they just, there's just that sort of, I don't know, that, that, that trust that you have with them because you just know that they're a good person. You know, there's a match. It's, I think something that I, that I believe in is I think it's important that when you're hiring someone, they should kind of, they should be the opposite of you as well. You know, you don't want somebody that's identical to you, but you want someone that's the opposite of you. I think that the concept of yin and yang, uh, I think you should use that in your business in so many different areas. I've thought about this so many times, but when I say somebody that's opposite of you, somebody that complements the the skills that you lack, you know, they're, they're, your weaknesses are their strengths. And really finding people that are the young to your yin, for sure. example. So well, their, their skills and their abilities are complementary to yours, but underneath all of that, the deeper shared values, there's more of a similarity. You share the same values, right? Mm-hmm. About exactly. What should be done. And it was very interesting. You were talking about you solving the delegation problem on the front end by hiring people who do share your values and there's a there's a level of trust there baked into the values that you share and then when it does come time to trust that they're going to do the work you 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 feel at peace with that and you don't need to look over their shoulders so you Mm -hmm. so many entrepreneurs struggle with that it's hard for them to let go of these tasks and let other people do them but i think your insight that you can solve that by bringing the right people into the team that really connect on a deeper level with you as the entrepreneur and that that all becomes very easy and a non-issue yeah yeah definitely definitely well this this has been amazing it was a rich conversation with you and nadia i want to congratulate you on everything that you're doing and encourage you i mean our partner the u.s association for small business and entrepreneurship is going to love what you shared today i i know there's going to be a lot of champions that are tuning in to what you're doing and a lot of supporters and you're going to inspire a lot of people with this and i'm proud of you i'm inspired by you i I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and um so we're done with the conversation this has been really amazing but i'll give you the last word are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share as we wrap this up yeah you know actually over the past i don't know a few months that i've been doing this i've been writing down little quotes that I always wanted to share with other entrepreneurs and I would love to just take like a minute just kind of sharing those if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay, cool. So some of them are quotes. Some of them is is just advice basically. So first one, self-development is a number one thing leaders need to do before and during leadership. Two, do not let the fear of failure get in your way. You have to reprogram yourself from all old self-limiting beliefs, doubt, imposter syndrome. And sometimes you may have to revisit any trauma in your life, wounds from your childhood, in order for you to step up and be your authentic self. The third one, create space to explore, to look at your business rather than just running it. Carve out a time every six months 
Find out what's working, what's not working, what are your goals, and get clear from a bigger perspective. The next one, ask for help. Don't try and seem like you have all of your stuff together, which is what a lot of startup founders do because they don't want to seem like a failure. Asking for help is one of the best things you can do as a leader. Next one, there's no such thing as failure. We are constantly in a state of learning growth and the cycle continues. Next one, losers quit when they fail. Winners fail until they succeed. Stop comparing your progress to someone else's success. Create from the heart, not for investors. And the last one is go to investors when you're strong, not when you're weak. Thank you so much for that. This has been a fantastic interview. And um, everybody check out Zaya. It's online. You'll find it. We'll drop the link into the description. And uh, Nadia Hassan, you are an inspiration. You're a fantastic entrepreneur. And I want to thank you for your time today. And everybody, we will see you again next time on the Existential Edge podcast.